0: Thank you for coming back tonight. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 11. If you'd go there with me, Luke chapter 11. I don't know about you, but it, was, it felt a lot chillier to me today than yesterday. And, uh, you know, I've been in Florida. So I, about a week ago, I went out with my daughter and we actually snorkeled in the Gulf of Mexico for 30 minutes. I hate to tell you that, but uh, so wouldn't have been doing that today. Luke, Luke chapter 11. All right, let me switch to this mic. There we go. Yeah, kids are dismissed. Did we do that? Kids are out here. Okay, there they go. I see a bunch of them. All right, the rest of us get to stay. Luke chapter 11. We started a series last night, two parts, and tonight's the second part. Lord, teach us to pray. And we were observing how the model prayer that Jesus gave was really a template, a pattern, an outline for how to pray. And you know when he said, uh, could you not watch with me one hour? How How do you get there? Part of it is having a plan, program of action. And I will tell you, it's amazing. Satan will do everything in his power to keep you from praying. Remember, Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, it's weak. Yeah, and flesh doesn't like praying. Prayer is an interesting conundrum. On one hand, it just seems so passive. It seems like so impotent. And then on the other hand, it seems like prayer is omnipotent because, well, I like to say it this way, prayer changes things because on the receiving end of prayer is God. You know, we often say prayer changes things. It was God who changes things. Prayer is just our means of communicating with him. But prayer changes things because of the receiving end of prayer is God. It's God who changes things. And as we go to God, uh, we see him do incredible, exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. So he's teaching us here how to pray. And let's go back and read the four verses. It's a short section, and then we'll review just a little from last night. Verse 1 It came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Forgive, uh, give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So, Lord, teach us to pray. And He obliges them. He tells them, "Okay, here's your pattern for prayer, and that's what follows." So we we started last night. Three of the uh, six key points that He gives, and the first one He mentions there: "You say, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name." Anybody remember the first point last night? Praise Praise to God. God. Yeah, we started with praise. Remember, we went to Psalm 100, entered into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Uh, Does anybody remember the distinction between thanksgiving and praise? There's a little subtle but important distinction between the two. Anybody write the definition down? Thanksgiving is expressing... got it, Brother Mike? Yeah, thanksgiving is expressing praise for what he's done, and then praise is who he is. Yeah, okay, so thanksgiving is expressing gratitude for what God has done, and praise is exalting God for who he is. So we look at the benefits we receive, that's thanksgiving. But in praise, we look at the benefactor, the one who gave. And, uh, you know, if you say to somebody, hey, thanks for the gift. Well, that's, that's Thanksgiving. But if you say, boy, you are awesome, that's praise. And, you know, for Thanksgiving, that, that ought to be a given. You ought to, I've, got, I've got a couple of thank you notes I need to give out after church tonight. I mean, you, Thanksgiving ought to just be a regular part of our lives. But, you know, that's just, that's just to be expected. But with God, there should be praise. Not just, you know, thanks for the gifts, Lord, but you are beyond anything I could ever even begin to express. We talked about it tonight in the prayer meeting. And, but we got one more night left. You can join us in the prayer meeting. I'd love to have you come. I know it's crazy. I was sitting at traffic lights following Chris on the way over here, too, thinking, I hope we make it. I'm, I thought I gave myself plenty of time. And I'm looking at the clock. thinking. So I know it's hard for you to get here. But during our, our prayer time tonight, uh, we focused on the matter of praise. And I want to tell you something. Nothing will create a new level of of intimacy with God, of oneness with God, like you learning to praise Him. It seems like an academic matter. No, it ought to be a matter of affection, ought to be a matter of the heart. So praise to God is how this whole proceeding starts. But then he says this, after you say, Lord, hallowed be thy name, then thy kingdom come. Anybody remember the the point from last night on that? Petition. Petition for souls, yeah. And we talked about there is indeed a millennial kingdom that's coming, and it's certainly, you know, there's certainly precedent for praying about that. Daniel prayed when he knew the end of the captivity was coming. But it's not only kingdom come, coming rather, but kingdom come. That is the salvation of souls in this world, where the Lord says the kingdom of God cometh not without observation. The kingdom of God is within you. That's not just the governing of God on earth, that's going to happen, but it's the governing of God in the heart of man, that's salvation. And petition for souls. You know, one reference I forgot to give you there last night, but I, if you got your notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. First Timothy two, one through four. 1 Timothy two, one through four. I will therefore that first of all, prayers, supplications, thanksgiving, uh, I'm sorry, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He tells you there, I want you to pray for all men. And he names them, he says, pray for sovereigns, kings and all that are in authority, and pray for sinners. And by the way, sovereigns are sinners too, right? And I probably don't have to elaborate on that. But pray for sovereigns and pray for sinners. And why does he say to do that? Because he wants all men to be saved. And I will tell you, there, there's a lot of times I'm praying and particularly when there are people that are that have an agenda in, uh, in politics and they are, are hurting the country. I, I see that, you know, and, and it's, it's not a matter of political party. It's a matter of are you interested in the good of America or not? I find myself a lot of times praying, Lord, if they'll repent, please bring them to repentance. If they won't, remove them, just however you choose to do that. Get them out of office, get them out of the way because they are hurting our country. Is it wrong to pray that way? Oh no, you see that a lot in the Psalms. So, you know, if you're saying, oh, I can't believe what's going on in this government, in this country. Well, first of all, you, you should vote. You know, if you don't vote, don't complain. Well, my vote doesn't matter. But you, look, if you quit voting, they'll, they'll just get in whoever they want, right? So you got to vote. But also, how about this? Do you pray? And God says, I want you to pray for all men. I want you to pray that you might lead a quiet, peaceable life. It, it, persecution often is refining. It's it can be beneficial, but God didn't tell us to pray that we'd get persecuted. That's going to happen. He said pray for a quiet, peace of life. So pray for, uh, it's petition for souls. And then the third one we looked at last night was purpose in life. Remember, thy will be done on earth just like it's being done where? In heaven. And how do you suppose the will of God is being carried out in heaven? Perfectly uncontested right what if god's will were being done in your marriage or your business or your church business meeting the way it's being done in heaven well i mean there'd be no pushback it would be just perfect he says pray for that purpose in life i have been praying since my kids were little lord please use my kids in your service somehow however you choose to do that would you you said to pray that you'd call forth laborers how about our family would you use us and uh it's not wrong to ask I, I'm not going to call my kids to ministry. That's not my place. But I'm asking God to call them. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth labors. By the way, my dad was a general contractor, and then he worked at Home Depot after that. And I knew this. My dad was every bit as directed by God into his secular work as I was into, into evangelism. Uh, he was saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do. It's not the, uh, the job you end up that makes it sacred. It's whether you're going to say, God, what do you want me to do? That's where he wants all of us. Some of us will be in business, and some of us will be in Bible ministry. And, but the key ought to be, God, what do you want with this life? I, I'm yours. So purpose in life, may your will be done in my life. That brings us now to verse number 3. And notice, give us day by day our daily bread. What P do you think I might use in my outline here? Provision, yeah, provision of needs. This is number 4 then, provision of needs. I want you to jump over to Matthew for a minute, Matthew chapter 6. I had an experience today that's been rare in my life. I was uh, on a Zoom call with a financial planner, and the reason I say it's rare, we have lived all these years, you know, hand to mouth, God's hand to my mouth. Uh, I, I'm not in what I do for money. So, you know, I Tozer Ministries is a five hundred one c three. It's a nonprofit, and we pay ourselves a little bit out of that, and it's not much. And so we never, we never. I'm not in it to get ahead. But my mom passed away last year, and my dad had put money in some investments, and so now I'm, I'm coming into some means, and now, oh, okay, I've never had to work, think about all those kind of things. So I'm, uh, I've been on the phone with uh, Zoom call with Financial Planner and thinking about how to invest and how to prepare, like a lot of you have done. And I was thinking of these principles as I was sitting down going through that process today. It's Matthew chapter 6. And I really like the fact the financial planner I was talking to today says we, we want to honor God's values. You know, we want to we want to invest with eternity in view. And there's some things we you know, according to what you and Angela said, Rich, you're not interested in supporting some things. And and by the way, you know, I I am not one who thinks you should boycott every, everything. Like, uh, do you hear about M and M's? You know, during National Woman's Day, and they had a transgender guy to to promote women. I mean, who who thinks of this stuff, right? So it's so easy for us Christians, like, okay, we're boycotting Target and we're boycotting NM. Well, now Paul said, I wrote to you in an epistle not to keep company with any brother, with any brother that's a fornicator. But then he said, not all together with the fornicators of this world, Else you must needs go out of the world. So if you were going to be consistent in boycotting everything that's evil, you'd buy nothing. Okay. Because the whole world's given over to wickedness. But I would like to invest in things that matter, and I'd like to invest as much as possible in things that are of like mind. But keep this in mind, Matthew chapter 6, pick up in verse 24. Here's the Lord's perspective on means and money. No man can serve two masters, either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, so what's mammon? That was the term for the God of materialism, the God of money. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life for what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Okay, what's he mean, take no thought? So is it, are we dishonoring God if we if we're trying to plan and think? No, but he's saying, look, this, this stuff should not obsess your mind. This should not overrun your thinking. Verse 26, behold, use the birds as an example. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap. Nor gather into barns; yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Well, that's really important. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about how uh, man was not made to be subservient to nature; nature was made to be subservient to man. You know, some people today in this green New Deal agenda, this, uh, this, these. Um, these people that worship the earth, man, they act like humans are intruders in this planet. No, no, no we were the crowning of God's creation. I don't say that because I think highly of us. That's what God said. And he said, look, you're better than the birds. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Who's going to add any span to his length of life by fretting, by worrying? Verse 28, why take your thought for Raymond? What you wear. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is today, uh, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And I'll tell you this, in my Bible, I circled the phrase there, All these things. It's going to be repeated several times here in the next couple verses. Okay, after all these things. what's, What's that referred to? All what things? Food and covering. Food and clothing. Okay, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of what? All these things. I circled it again. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things shall be added unto you. What's going to happen if... If I die and my spouse is left with a house payment and, and you know, there's a place to plan and, and be prepared, but you know what? God doesn't want you to do. Lying awake at night thinking, what if, what if, what if? Whoa. If you seek Him first, His kingdom, His righteousness, guess what? All these things shall be added unto you. Verse 34, Therefore take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day as the evil thereof. So, God's view of money, God's view of means is it's a tool. It's a tool for taking care of you. It's a tool for taking care of your family. But it's also a tool for honoring God. And I want to tell you, though my message tonight is not primarily about giving, I want to tell you the surest way to financial security in your life is to be a giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I don't think we should give so that we're financially secure. We should give out of love for God. But he promises this. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give in your bosom. Luke 6, 38. By the way, I'm of the persuasion that the Old Testament principle of tithing predated the law. Some people say, well, tithing, that was law. Well, no. Way back, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and that was before the law was established. And Jesus said, you know, to the Pharisees, you paid tithe, the mint, anise, cumin, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law and uh, righteousness of faith, et cetera. And he said, these you ought to have done and not to have left the other undone. Jesus never undid the principle of tithing. Tithing is a starting point, okay? And I believe I wouldn't preach this to you if I didn't practice it. I believe in tithing. In fact, I believe in going above and beyond, beyond the tithe. And I will tell you this, we have found out repeatedly, you cannot outgive God. So when you're praying, Lord, please provide my needs, provision of needs, understand this. It starts with a position of trust. It starts with a position of priorities. And he tells you in 33, I want you to seek above everything the Lord. Seek Him. Seek His kingdom. Well, we talked about earlier, how does His kingdom expand? By people being saved. Seek those interests. And then what? The promise is all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I want to take some time to illustrate this, because I I want to tell you, in our society, we... uh, I think a lot of times we get more dependent upon financial advisors and banks and such than sometimes we factor God right out of the equation. And there needs to be a balance on all this. When I was in college, I mentioned this the other day, I was reading the, the Hudson Taylor life story and George Mueller, and I thought, why, why don't people live with that simple kind of trust? The Lord worked on my heart, why don't you? Well, you know, it's not very American, is it? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to trust God. And that's great when it's just you. But then later I'm thinking about getting married. And now that's going to affect Angela, who's going to be my wife. Is is my wife, but at the time, going to be my wife. And I remember telling her, hey, listen, Angela, if we get married, you know, you need to know about this. I made this commitment to God that I would never go into debt for anything. And that I would try to make my needs known only to God. And, um, you know, I just, that's going to affect both of us. She said, oh, I'm fine with that. Angela's dad, Lars Westberg, was an evangelist for 35 years, and uh, he was a pastor before that. And they live now, n- retired down in uh, Florida. And she said, "You know, I learned to trust God as a as a girl." I said, "Well, that was easy when it's your parents having to trust and you trust them to meet your needs." But she told some amazing stories. One night, if I can get the details right, she said, um, "My dad was preaching in a little town in the Midwest." She said he, he used to share with us kids when there was a need. And he said, this one week, we needed $300. And she said, Dad said, we've got some bills and we need some gas to fill up the van before we leave town. She, he said, kids, we need to pray together specifically for $300. Well, that week they got a, um, I think it was maybe a um, uh, tax return or something. was somewhere in the neighborhood of $50. So, okay, God provided the first. And then on uh, Thursday night of that meeting, the pastor came and said, Brother Lars, I know we're going through Friday, but I want to give you your check ahead of time. You may need to get fuel or whatever, and so I'm going to give you your money tonight. If anything else additional comes in, we'll get it to you. But, uh, and my father-in-law said so that was highly unusual. And he looked when he went home, and the check was for $249.69. And so he shared that with the kids, and they're like, oh, great, God, that's right. He said, well, now... What do we pray for? They said $300. And he said, okay. Well, they got 200 and, I'm sorry, $299.69, right? And my father-in-law said, but listen, you know, let's just see what God does. Friday night, a little boy came up to my father-in-law. He said, Mr. Westberg, God told me to give this to you. And he handed him some change. And my father-in-law didn't even look at it. He said, oh, son. He said, they already took the offering. He said, why don't you keep that and buy a pack of gum or something? He said, Mr. Westberg, God told me to give you this. He said, Well, thanks, son. So he put it in his pocket, didn't even think about it. When he went back to the trailer that night, he did what I do all the time. I'll, I'll empty my pockets, you know, so I've got mints and I've got stuff like this I'll throw on the counter. And my father in law threw this stack of stuff on the, on the bed, and all of a sudden he started shouting. He's having a big glory fit. And the kids all came in and said, Dad, what is it? He said, Look right there. And he pointed, and there was a quarter and a nickel and a penny. How much? 31 cents. And he said, how much did we ask God for? $300. And God provided. And my wife has told that often when she doesn't like speaking in ladies' meetings, but she does it occasionally. And uh, she'll sometimes share that. And she said, I learned as a girl to trust God. Well, we we got married. We moved up to um, Kansas City. We joined Eagle Heights Baptist Church and we we were asked if we might teach in the Christian school there. Well, neither of us had been teachers. I wanted to be in the church for at least six to nine months before I launched out as staff evangelists, but they asked, would you consider teaching? We had a couple of teachers that stepped down and we need some teachers this year. And I thought, I don't know anything about teaching. My parents had told me though, you know, you never tell God I won't. You say, I'm Lord, I'm willing. Have y'all have you ever told God you won't do something? You know, I will not be a missionary. I'll never live in Africa. Guess what you'll probably do? (laughs) Now, I I will say this. I have been telling God for years that I will never be a millionaire. So far, he's let me live that dream out, okay? (laughs) But other than that, you don't tell God you won't, right? So I remember saying, all right, I'm not saying I would never be a Christian school teacher, but man, this seems like out of my comfort zone. So we prayed about it, and I said, what do you need for teachers? They said, well, we need an English teacher. And we need a computer and uh, a typing teacher. Well, my wife had been a secretarial administration major in college. And I had a, had a pretty strong background in English. And so, and they said, oh, we also need a guy to teach Bible. <laughs> Duh. And uh, seventh grade math, that's about the only level of math I could handle, right? So <laughs> I said, well, we'll pray about it. And sure enough, the Lord impressed in our heart to do it. So let me, let me tell you what happened. We, uh, we agreed to do it. We moved up to Kansas City in um, August of 1993. And now we're going to be the rookie teachers at Eagle Heights Christian School. Well, I hadn't even asked about the financial package. That was of no consequence to me. I don't care about the money. I'm there to serve God. Well, I didn't realize that Christian school teachers don't do what they do for money, okay? Uh, they do it because they love God, and that's about it. Uh, so <laughs> I got up there, and I realized our combined income... Combined income was going to be just under fifteen thousand dollars. Now, even in nineteen ninety-three, that was not a lot of money. So I thought, okay, I got to put together a budget. Got to figure out how we're going to make this work. So I got out the paper, and our rent at the time—now you'll laugh at this—but rent in this little tiny apartment with flat paint on the walls—it's like three hundred fifty bucks a month. I know we'd all die to pay three fifty now, right? But three hundred fifty bucks a month. And so I got okay, rent. The very first thing I always factored in, tithe. First check we would always write would be tithe to the Lord. And then rent, and then food budget. And I will tell you, I whittled it down, whittled it down. I could not make the budget work. Try as I might. So the only area that was flexible was food, and I kept saying to Angela, can we whittle the food budget down? I'm not exaggerating. We had the food budget down to one dollar per person per meal. Well, two people, two dollars a meal. And my newlywed wife said, "Why well, I, I, I can work with that. So I still wasn't making the budget. So I went to our pastor, and I said, Pastor, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not here to complain about money. We agreed to do this. We're going to do it. But I just don't know how to make this budget work. I'm a young newlywed. And he said, yeah, let me look at that, Rich. He said, oh, yeah, you can't make this budget work, brother. He said, here, here's what happens. Our school pays the base salary based off of tuition and stuff. And then the church will usually supplement based on things like years of experience, advanced degrees, or number of children in the family. And you guys have none of that. Uh, so he said, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to the deacons and we'll, we'll bring some money over from the church. He said, unless, no, that, that's what we'll do. I said, pastor, what was the unless? I said, Rich, I, I got ahead of myself. I'm just thinking out loud there. It, it's going to sound self-serving if I tell you what I was thinking. I said, well, would you, would you mind sharing it with me? he said, the thought occurred to me, this time next year, you're going to live totally by faith as an evangelist. And he said, the thought occurred, like, maybe you'd be willing to trust God now to watch him bring in the rest of the money, but that sounds like we don't want to pay you, and that's not my intention. I said, I think there's some wisdom in that, Pastor. Let's just leave it. And I did not realize, I had just signed up for spiritual boot camp. And I will tell you, as the year went by, it was amazing, just the needs we had, and, and we, we had seven times the tires went flat on the car and we either had to patch them or plug them. We couldn't afford new tires. Uh, I remember one time I sat on a pair of eyeglasses and I crushed them. I didn't have the money to pay for that. We had to pray in the money. I remember one time Angela came and she said, well, hon, listen, um, I got a problem. She said, I got three chicken breasts here. The problem is there are two days left until we get paid. Now we got paid every two weeks there. So she said, we don't get paid for two more days. And this is all I got in the freezer for supper. So we either have supper tonight or we have supper tomorrow. What do you want me to do? I said, well, could we do like pancakes and eggs, have a breakfast supper? She said, yeah. Okay. So we had breakfast. We like that. So we had breakfast supper one night and got the chicken the next day. And then we got paid. Sounded good, right? I wrote the tithe check, the rent check. We went to the food for less grocery store and the entire two week check was gone. And I want to, just to put some context to this, okay? We're newlyweds. You know what we did for Friday night dates? We listened to Adventures in Odyssey on the radio, and we made milkshakes out of cheap ice cream that we bought at Aldi. I mean, that's all we could afford for Friday night dates. So we are not living the luxurious life, right? I thought, how am I going to make it? I, I just don't have the money, and... I don't know. So I'm in my prayer time. I'm praying, Lord. You promise, my God, shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. In fact, let me let me give you some specific scriptures. This is a good time to bring them in. Talking about provision of needs, I mentioned Matthew twenty-five uh, six twenty-five to thirty-four. How about Matt, uh, Psalm twenty-three one? The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. I'm not going to lack. He's my shepherd. How about Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five? I've been young, now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed what begging bread? How about um, Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply all your need. Hey, listen to this. According to what? His riches where? In glory. His riches in glory are not affected by the, uh, the strength of the American dollar or by the current financial situation. He says, I'll provide your need according to my riches in glory. Interesting. So, I prayed, all right, Lord, we, we don't have any money left, and somehow, we've got to have money for fuel to get back and forth to the uh, Christian school that you've called us to teach in. So, I remember one day, I, I took the penny jar that we'd been saving up, whatever we could, and dumped that, and got a little money for gas, and, you know, time went by, we're still not, that two-week period, that change didn't last very long. And one day, I went out to the mailbox, and there was a letter from my kid brother-in-law, and, and Michael Westberg, He was a senior in high school at the time. He would become my partner in ministry for 11 years doing children's ministry and music with us. He pastors Derek Thomas's old church in uh, Raymore, Missouri now. But Michael had sent me a letter, high school senior. He said, dear Richard and Angela, hope you're doing well. I pray for you guys every day. I love you. And he said, "Um, I've heard that the first year marriage could be kind of tough. Not that I would know. Ha ha ha. He said, "But God put it on my heart to send you this, and inside was a twenty-dollar bill." And he said, "Don't even think about sending it back." <laughs> I thought, "I am not thinking about sending it back." Uh, God used my heavenly high school brother-in-law to send me the money, and that's how he did it. Then we got down to the end of the year, and we had uh, we had precious little. In, uh, in, in 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 fact, we didn't save a dime all year. But one thing that came with our with our teaching was a uh, full health benefits. Now, when you're 20-something, you know, who has bad health? But it did include dental stuff, so we decided, well, at least go to the dentist, get our teeth done. That morning, as we're about to go to the dental office, I had just put the, the check to the landlady in the box at the apartment complex. And as I'm going back before our dental uh, visit, I thought, oh, no. This weekend, our automatic deduction comes for our uh, auto insurance. I think we're at State Farm. It, it comes out this weekend, and it was $100 was every six months, right? Oh no. When you've been witnessing to the landlady, it is not a good idea to bounce the check that you just wrote to the landlady. And so I thought, what am I going to do? Well, this is a Friday. The bank's only open till noon on Saturday. And if, if she cashes that check on Monday, I got to get a deposit in before noon tomorrow, or it's not going to, we're going to bounce this. So I told Angela, "Hun, we need to pray. I, I don't know how we're going to get this money, but we got to get 100 bucks. And so uh, I remember we went to the dentist, and we're, everything was good. We came out. I looked on the ground, and there was this, this bill rolled up. I thought it was one of those um, Ray Comfort million-dollar bill tracks, you know. I reached down, I picked it up, and I unfurled it. It was a $100 bill. And I remember saying to not I don't, I don't know if this is provision from God or a trap from the devil, you know, because this isn't my money. And uh, she said, what are we going to do? I said, well, let's, go, let's go talk to the receptionist." So I asked, did anybody lose any money? She said, how much? I said, that's for you to tell me. If you can tell me the amount, the serial number, where it was meant to no. <laughs> Here's my phone number. I said, look, if anybody claims to have lost any money, have them call me. If they can identify the amount, I'll return. You know, nobody ever called. I, I always wonder, how did it get there? Did it float down from heaven? I, probably not. Probably some dentist walking out to his Porsche dropped small change and I've got I don't know how it got there. But you know the amazing thing is God put the money there right when I needed it. Oh, by the way, he's never done it that way since, either. So don't go looking around like, okay, toes are said to pray for a hundred bucks. Where is it, God? We don't know how he's gonna do it. You see, he was teaching us to trust him for twenty bucks and then a hundred bucks and then we launched out into evangelism in June of 1993. And Paul Smith's church was my first. He was pastoring in Colorado Springs. And I was about to leave Missouri and go to Paul's church. And I remember the night before I left, um, our church took up an offering for us, $4,700. Incredible. And so I thought, hallelujah. I may, I earned, I got more in an offering than I had saved. You know, I didn't save anything all year. So, Wow. So the next day, we open up a savings account. That was great. We come back to the church office. We're going to pray before we head off to Colorado. And the pastor says, hey, there's a widow in the church wanted you to have something. And he hands me a check from her for $11,500. I thought I should have been an evangelist a long time ago. What's, <laughs> what, what was I thinking? Well, to be, to be completely frank about it, that was, that was the last any significant money would come in for the next four years. But I went back to the bank, and I made a deposit. They must have thought I'm a drug dealer. I'm coming back every couple hours with this big money. And uh, so we went on the road, and for the first four years, we lived in people's homes. We stayed mostly with people. Once in a while, we'd get a hotel or missions apartment or whatever. But you know, when you're an unknown guy, people are just like doing you a favor to have them into their church. And uh, so we pretty much stayed with people. We'd stay all week, and well year two plus of that endeavor my first child was born Brianna and so now we have a baby up to 2 years old living in people's homes And I remember praying one day Lord we've you know you gave us this money 4 years ago and Angela and and, Bre- and Brianna are not feeling really well right now but Lord if if you will I know you can provide us a trailer and I don't I don't know how this is going to happen we need a truck to pull it it's way beyond anything I'll be ever ever able to be able uh, ever be able to afford. But you know, you said you'd provide according to your riches and glory, and I'm not quitting. I'm in this for life. But but we sure need provision. Got back to our home church, and my pastor said, "Hey, Rich, I uh, want you to come give us a report." I hadn't been home in months. Tell us what God's doing. So I told him, and he said, "Hallelujah." He said, "Brother, on Wednesday night we took up a special offering for you," and he gave me a check, five thousand five hundred dollars. Now, that was the first money that had come in in four years. But, you know, you add that to the 15 plus that we had, 16,000 we had earlier. So we got over $20,000 now. And I remember I said to my pastor, you know, should I pursue a truck or a trailer first? He said, I don't know, what are you thinking? I said, well, probably a truck. If my van dies, at least I could drive the truck. If I get a trailer without a truck, I can't pull it anywhere. He said, good idea. He said, where are you going to get it? I said, it's really interesting. Tom Farrell offered me his truck last year. And uh, he's going to get a diesel instead of the gas truck he has. I think I'd call Farrell. He said, well, that's a good idea. So Tom Farrell lived in Kansas City like we did at the time. So I called him up. Brother Farrell, Rich Tozer. How are you doing, brother? I said, doing great. He said, uh, or I said, hey, any chance you still have that truck from last year? He said, I got that truck, brother. Are you interested? I said, yeah, I think I am. I, 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 let me tell you what happened. He said, hallelujah. And I said, well, I appreciate getting excited. He said, you don't know half of it, brother. He said, just yesterday I was talking to God about you. He said, Lord, Rich Tozer wants to buy my truck. And, and he and I both know that he's trusting you for the money. I don't know when he's going to get it. But if you want him to have my truck, would you just prompt him to call me this week so I won't sell it? I called him the next day with the money in hand. So I bought Farrell's truck. And he said, Rich, you can park it in my house if you want. I know you don't need it for now. And we'll just keep an eye on it at the house there. And he said, somebody's here. And so, so I even had a place to park it. So my pastor and, and um, deacons had a meeting with us. They said, all right, you've got your truck. Now, Angela needs a trailer. I thought, Angela needs a trailer. Yeah, we, yeah, that's the truth. We all need a trailer. He said, all right, let's talk about this. When's the next time you're going to be in Kansas City? And I said, well, this is January of 98. I said, next time we're home is in uh, Easter season. We'll be here for two weeks. He said, and then when? I said, not until not Christmas. We're out. We're booked. He said, All right. Gentlemen, we're going to pray that God gives Rich and Angela a, tra- a trailer by mid-April. I said, Pastor, not, not uh, meaning any disrespect, but so, so am I to understand? We're just going to tell God, God, we need you to give us a trailer by April. He said, well, let's think about this. Who gave you your schedule, Rich? I said, well, the Lord did. He said, who just gave you a truck with a fifth wheel hitch in it? Uh, the Lord did. He said, you think he has plans? Yes, sir. He said, well, he knows the time frame too, doesn't he? Yes, sir. So we started praying, and I'll tell you, we left Kansas City, and we went up to Walker Indiana. We stopped at the Travel Supreme factory where they made the trailers that all the evangelists I knew had. And we toured it, and thought, man, this will be so great. Can't wait to get one of these one day. And I picked up the floor plans, and I'm, I'm drawing them and, you know, thinking, okay, if I could, if I could get the trailer in my dreams, this is what I'd get. Well, you know, who gets a new trailer? I mean, this is fanciful, thinking. My prayer had always been, Lord, I don't need new. I just would like something nice. You're not a junk dealer. And so I pray you'd give us something nice. Well, about a week before we came home, and um, I couldn't sleep one night. And I was up drawing out floor plans and writing out some promises and thought, we're going home next week. And nothing had come in. Maybe maybe $150 toward a truck and trailer. Nothing of substance had come in. But that's the time frame, so we'd been praying about it. I told Angela, I couldn't sleep last night, and look what I wrote out. To live on the road, we need a place to live. My God shall supply all your need. All kinds of principles like this. She said, you think God's going to do it? I said, I I do, but I, I don't know. Other than just knowing how good he is, I don't have any real basis for it, just he promised to meet our needs. So we go back to Kansas City and the ladies of the church had a meal with Angela and they presented her a certificate. It said, These are this is a certificate for meet, successfully meeting the uh, nesting requirements of staying in people's homes for the last four years. And here is your first installment on your new trailer. Well, they knew we weren't going into debt. What do you mean first installment? Our church had taken up a sacrificial offering for us of $22,000. Could not believe it. And... Um, very, very short story. We end up selling our van. Um, I, I, I found one in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It was exactly what we've been praying for. Did not see it in person. Just had them send me pics. Uh, Brother Farrell knew a guy down at uh, Colonial Hills Baptist that went and saw it for us and said, looks like a really good trailer. And so we sent a $1,000 deposit, and a friend of mine and I headed off that, that weekend we left on a Saturday, got to Virginia Beach on a Sunday night. Our bank transferred the money, and here's the thing. When I, when I backed up that Tom Farrell truck to that trailer that I'd never seen before, Farrell's truck had been pinstriped to ma- match exactly that year and model of trailer. That's the same he had owned before, not that one, but another one. And then I went inside, and wouldn't you know, it's exactly the floor plans I sketched out that night if I could have gotten my dream trailer. And we drove home. We got home on a Tuesday. We moved into it on a Wednesday. We had open house for the church people to see what God had provided. And we left on Thursday not to be home until Christmas time. And my pastor often said, God's never in a hurry, but he's always on time. Now, I I honestly could tell you stories like that for hours. And God has provided three trucks and two trailers, and we're in need of another trailer. And I'll have another story soon to tell you. And I'll tell you this, God doesn't do it because I'm an evangelist. He does not because I'm his child. And he doesn't favor pastors, evangelists, and missionaries over anybody else. He says, you give us this day, Lord, our daily bread, and he promises he'll meet your need. So let's go back to the passage of Scripture. Provision of needs. And then I'll be quick on these other two. I want you to notice there is then... Number five in the list is in verse four. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. Now, I have to tell you, I... I wondered why is that fifth on the list why would i wonder that i I call this one pardon for sin pardon pardon for sin what's odd about that being the fifth one well you probably know some scriptures like i do you might want to jot these down psalm 66 18 if i regard iniquity in my heart the lord will not hear me yeah What's the word "regard" mean? We people used to sign letters, you know, "kind regards." That means with fondness of thought. If I regard, if I coddle, if I show fondness for sin in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. About Proverbs twenty-eight nine, Proverbs twenty-eight nine: He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Yeah, if you're not listening to God, why should He listen to you? Uh, so I thought, wow, man, that praying for these needs, but uh, man, if I Number five in the list. Wouldn't sin be a hindrance to that? Well, look at Matthew five for a minute. Matthew five, verses twenty-three and twenty-four. I could quote it to you, but I'd like you to see it in your Bible. Matthew five, twenty-three, and twenty-four. Therefore, thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest so that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. So let's say like tonight, you respond, as we quote, you know, say, at the altar. So you're coming to make a presentation to God. He says, if at the altar you remember, oh, I, I, I hurt so-and-so. Boy, I crushed my kid's spirit. I hurt my wife's spirit. I, I was really proud and arrogant. All of a sudden to your attention comes something wrong. You know what God says? Stop, stop the proceedings right there. Go to the person and get things right. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So the idea here is not obstinance like I am not confessing sin. No, but what's happening is as as you're now reaching a different level of intimacy with God because you're spending time in prayer with Him, you become more sensitive. You become aware and now as sin comes to mind, what do you do? You go forgive. Isn't it interesting how God deals with the matter of forgiveness too? What what does He say? If somebody offends you, what are you supposed to do? Go to Him and get it right. What does he say you're supposed to do if you offend them? Go to them and get it right. How come it's on me all the time? Because if we all wait for the other guy to take initiative, it'll never be done. So God says whether you have offended someone or you've been offended by someone, go, get it right. It's so important to have proper horizontal relationships so you can have a proper vertical relationship. So pardon for sin. And then number six here, I call protection from evil. Protection from evil. So we're back in Luke 11. Look at verse 5. I'm sorry. Verse 4. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, what what comes to mind here? Well, I think it's two factors involved. One is protection from evil doings, and another is protection from evil happenings. Both evil doings and evil happenings. Like evil happenings, uh, what about... You know, you—you. You, how many of you have ever prayed for traveling mercy, and you look back and you say, whew, we narrowly averted maybe a catastrophe, maybe death. Anybody ever see the divine hand of protection in your life? Yeah. And I think someday we may figure out there were a lot of close calls we didn't even know were close calls, because you're praying and God's protected. Remember in, uh, you might jot down Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, where Satan is coming to God and says, well, now you you let me a Job, and he said, he'll curse you your face, but he said, I can't touch him because you put a hedge of protection around him. I pray that every day for my wife and girls. You know, pray for their health, pray for protection. I mean, nowadays, there are mass shootings at malls and at convenience stores, and I mean, crazy stuff. Wendy's, you know, so, man, what do we all, just stay home? Live cloistered? You can't just live holed up in your house. So what can you do? Oh, be smart, be aware, but how about this? How about you pray for a hedge of protection? So one is protection from evil happenings. But then there's protection from evil doings. Oh, by the way, protection from evil happenings. Let me also give you um, Psalm 91, the whole Psalm. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he's my, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Um, verse 7, a thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand. It shall not come nigh thee. Verse 11, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. I'm just picking some highlights. I memorized that psalm because, man, when, when COVID broke out, people went crazy in fear. I want to remind you, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, sound mind. Second Timothy one seven. So pray for protection from evil happenings, but also protection from evil doings. Evil doings. And what's that mean? Lord, please lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. The man that I I heard tell the story about uh, the Lord's model prayer, and he was a college kid as a Texas preacher. You know, he said, I learned to pray an hour a day. He said, since my college years, I have known way too many guys who have fallen out of uh, fellowship with God. He said, I mean, it's so bad that grievous sins that disqualified them from ministry. In fact, they're not, not only are they not in ministry now, he said a lot of them are not even married to their spouses. And he said, when I've talked to these guys, I always ask them, so how did it come to this? They don't say, oh, brother, so-and-so, you know, just happened. He said, no, it doesn't just happen. And he'd say, look, were you having a meaningful quiet time? And they'd all say, well, brother, what do you think? And of course, the answer is no. They're not having a meaningful, quiet time. Nobody just drives off the cliff spiritually. We, we just start flirting with disaster. And he said, now, I, I, I don't know this scientifically. I can't prove this. But he said, I'll tell you what. I've never known a person who maintained a meaningful, consistent prayer life who went off the rails in sin. It may happen. But he said, I've never known somebody that, I've, that I knew to have a consistent, fervent prayer life that went off into sin. Remember, Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into what? Temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, the flesh is weak. He said there is a divine connection between your prayer life and your walk with God. So it almost sounds like, Lord, would you stop leading me into temptation? Well, we know James says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when sin is, uh, hath conceived, I'm uh, sorry, lust when it's conceived, bring forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bring forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That's James 1, uh, 13 to 16. So you can't blame God when you go into temptation. So is he saying, Lord, stop leading me into temptation? No, 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 no. He's saying, Lord, please lead me not into temptation. It's like a child taking the parent's hand as they're about to cross at the busy intersection. Daddy, Mama. And they take the hand so they can get safely across. Hey, are you praying, God, please lead me not into temptation? How about 1 Corinthians 10, verses uh, 12 and 13? Let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will also with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Let me end tonight in James 5. Would you jump over there with me as we wrap this up? James 5. So let me answer the maybe the elephant in the room question. What do you do if you pray for protection, but God doesn't seem to answer? I remember um, we had a woman in our church. She was 40 years old. They had I don't know, five or six children, good-sized good family. And um, she, these two were faithful in our church. Her name is Sue. Sue and Dan, faithful in our church, just sold out to God. She found out she had leukemia. And it was already diagnosed at stage four when she found it out. I mean, it was, a matter, it was going to be a matter of weeks. She didn't fret. She said, um, Pastor, could you and the deacons come over and you know, pray for me like in James chapter five? Let me read the passage that she was uh, looking at. It's James five, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if you've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. She said, Lord, Pastor, I believe in the simplicity of just following the, the prayer of faith. And my pastor did too. And, and he said, sure, we'll come and talk to you. And he said, now, Sue, you understand that the, the oil is not, it's not something miraculous. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? Just like a ring is a symbol of a wedded relationship. The, the symbol means nothing without the relationship he said so the, the oil isn't what heals you understand that oh yes pastor and he said now so you understand the prayer of faith is I am completely at God's disposal in this I believe he has absolute power to heal and I also believe he has the authority and, and if he chooses to do otherwise we'll trust him no matter what he said you understand that right she said I do pastor He said, Sue, do you believe that God can heal you just even though the doctors are saying there's no hope? She said, I sure do. That's why I'm asking this. So the deacons, pastor, gathered around her. They took a little cruise of oil, prayed over her. It was nothing mystical. It was just to honor God's principle. Three weeks later, Sue died. What about that? Well, let me just tell you. We had two other women in our church also had cancer. And God completely healed him. In fact, I remember when my daughter was uh, one-year-old Heather, my middle one. And Angel and I were supposed to be going on a trip to Israel. Tom Farrell was leading a trip to Israel. And we were going to go. And Jimmy DeYoung was the the host over there. I was so excited. I had traveled internationally as a single guy. Now my wife's going to go with me to Israel. This is going to be fantastic. And two nights before we left, my daughter Heather came down with such a bad... um, dehydration from a fever that she's at Sacred Heart Hospital in in uh, Pensacola and she's on IV and it's not looking good. So I remember we uh we were members of the church in Kansas City but that's so far away so I called pastor back home and said, "Hey, listen, I'm here in Pensacola and Pastor Shetler had been my pastor before and Don Smith who was at Emmanuel Baptist in Mechanicsburg is now down on Staff here. He had been my pastor before. Could, could our church authorize these men to come and follow the James 5 principle? And they're like, sure, absolutely. So we called Pastor Shetler and Brother Smith, and they said, we'd be more than happy to come. And they came, and we went through that process. And I'll tell you what, the next day, my daughter was fine. Turned the corner, and I thought, fantastic. Now Angela can go with me to Israel. Eh, not so fast, because mom's heart, you know, and got to make sure the child's all right. And so she ended up not going. And uh, that was a great lesson in a mother's love for a child. And and I learned a lot through that, too. But I say all that to say, what is it with the James 5 principle? If if you understand it like I'm portraying it there, is it, uh, well, you know, if you have enough faith, you'll get healed. Well, let me ask you this. When, When Paul sought the Lord three times for the thorn in the flesh, what did God say to him? No, he gave him an answer. He said, no, because my grace is what? My my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. And so what was Paul's response? All right. I'll glory in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, the prayer of faith is I have absolute confidence that God can do this without any human help. But the simple act of trust is if he chooses not to do it, I trust him even if I don't understand the prayer of faith saves the sick. But by the way, what happens to the person who dies like my mom died last year of cancer, 77 years old? You know what i tell you about my mom? She's in better shape than she's ever been. She's with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He wants you to come with absolute confidence. He also wants you to come knowing that you're not omniscient, he is. And if God chooses to call an audible If God chooses plans different than you chose, what does He say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't do what? Lean not on thine own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Simply trust Him, and you'll never be sorry that you trusted God. So what a template. What an an outline for prayer. And I, I hope it'll help you as it's helped me. Lord, teach us to pray. Would you stand with me? We're going to close out with a brief invitation tonight. Lord, thank you for the time we've had to just dive into the subject of prayer. And even even with two days, it seems like we've barely scratched the surface. We've barely made a dent in the topic. But I pray it might motivate us to be praying people. I was saying to you in the prayer time in there a few minutes ago, I sure would like to be the kind of person whose prayers really do benefit other people. I I know if somebody asks Hudson Taylor to pray for him, they they know that guy gets his prayers answered. Well, may it be true of us, Lord. You don't answer prayers because that's Hudson Taylor or that's George Mueller. You answer prayers because you said if we ask anything in Jesus' name and according to his will, we know we have the petitions we desire of you. Help us to be people who pray big prayers to our big God looking for big answers. So our heads are bowed tonight. I want to ask you this. How many of you needed something you heard tonight? Let's just start with a general question. Anybody need something you heard tonight? Yeah, okay. How many of you say, I really need God in the matter of provision right now? Would you hold up your hand? I needed those principles. Yeah, I mean, how many of us don't? How about the whole idea of pardon for sin? You, You ever struggle with why is that the fifth one? And then maybe as we're studying the truth of it tonight... Anybody need to put some practice to that truth? Maybe you thought of somebody that you've wronged or offended. You need to go to them and get it right. Anybody here need that tonight? Would you lift your hand? Anybody at all say, I needed that one? Yeah. How about that last one? Protection from evil. Protection from evil doings, like, Lord, please lead me out of the path of temptation. Put me in your path so I avoid evil. But also evil happenings. Bad things happen to me. Anybody need that one tonight? Yeah, and you know the scripture's really clear. You have not because you what? Ask not. So what's the antithesis? What's the opposite of that? Let's start asking. How many from the, from the two days that we've looked at this now, you'd say, I know one thing. I've got to get serious about praying. I really want God to help me to practice praying, not just think about it, talk about it. Do it. Is that the underlying principle you needed? Anybody beside me said, yeah, I really, that's, I'm gleaning that. I need that. I want to be a praying person. Amen. I do want to give an evangelistic invitation, but let me just start right there first of all. I'm going to ask our pianist to play. And if God spoke to your heart, I invite you to come tonight. The premise again, God gives grace to the humble. So I'll be quiet here before I finish with an evangelistic appeal. If you need to come tonight, or you need to kneel right there at your pew, would you do that now? God worked in my heart. I don't want to just hear the word, I want to heed the word. I don't just want to know doctrine. I want to be a doer of the word. Maybe you're trusting God for provision and you think, I don't know how that's going to happen. Remember, He provides according to His riches and glory. The riches and glory are not affected by the health of your 401k or your Roth IRA. God's capable of meeting your needs out of nothing. This last thought, I see a few people kneeling, praying, and sitting and praying, and there's time for you. Last thought here. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? The word call is a cry of desperate dependence. It's like the kid who's lost in the woods, and he hears the search team calling out his name. Billy! Billy! And he says, I'm over here! He calls out because he's lost, and he knows he can't find his way back. To call on the Lord for salvation has come to the recognition I'm a guilty sinner. God is holy. There's no way I can ever appease God. I'm I'm guilty before Him. I understand that Jesus Christ died for me to pay for my sins. He paid the price with His blood that He shed when He died on the cross, crucified. And then He rose again to secure that transaction. Call on the name of the Lord. He'll save you. Is there anybody tonight you'd say, preacher, I don't know if I'd go to heaven after I die. I, I don't know if I've got a right relationship with God. I, that concerns me. Would you let me know by a raised hand? I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. But you'd say, pray for me. I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. My, we'd love to show you that. We'd love to tell you how to know Christ. Anybody like that at all? The pastor and I will be out in the foyer after here. You see Pastor Savinski, you see me, and we really love to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. The pastor's going to come and, and dismiss us. Don't forget your kids are back there after we dismiss. We've got one more night left. I hope you'll be back tomorrow. Our Father, as we dismiss the service, we leave the invitation open. And as Brother Rich just mentioned, we are available Whether it's to sit down with the word of God and to answer questions, to show somebody the way of salvation, to pray with them through those needs. Lord, it is our desire to be a blessing and a help spiritually to these people. And so, Lord, we pray for your help for them as you work in their lives and for us as you work in our lives and as you would equip us to help them. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that reveals to us our needs. Reveals to us your promises and your character so that we can have hope. We rejoice in these things in Jesus' name. Amen.